This passage is stuffed with wisdom and insight. It's important to remember what we looked at last week in the interaction with Jethro and with Moses. Last week, if there was one who was leading the action, it was Moses. Though Jethro had traveled this great distance to see him, Moses invited him into the house and then told him of all that the Lord had done, all that God had done in Egypt to lead forward Israel, and then how the God had provided. The Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had provided for Israel. He'd provided for Moses and had led them. So much so that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, this Midianite priest, was moved to confess that your God is the true God. There's none other like him. And then he offered the sacrifice to the Lord for his sin, and he worshiped God. And he made this great offering, this great feast for all the elders of Israel to come and have fellowship with each other, because indeed he had found fellowship with the Lord. Now, since last week, here's what's happened. They've gone to sleep. They've gone to sleep. And they wake up the next day, and Jethro gets to work. Moses gets to work, and Jethro gets to watch Moses work. What he observes is from sunup at the very first cup of coffee through the entirety of the day, Moses is making judgments. And in this time in history, as judgments were made, Moses would sit on his seat judging these things, and all of Israel would come in this massive line standing, coming toward him all day. He would discern all of these matters because the people of Israel are numbered around 2 million people at this time. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of issues. Do you remember the part of the description that we have of the Israelites? Already God's given insight in how the Lord's Supper or how the Passover was to be observed, all the different festivals to be observed. And the people that were joining them were not simply those that were in captivity in Israel, but the text told us that a a, a mixed multitude had joined them, people from other backgrounds that were likely slaves in Egypt. Perhaps some number of Egyptians have joined them. People from different backgrounds now make up the two million. There's beauty in that diversity now that's come into allegiance of the covenant made by Abraham with his people or made with God through Abraham. But what's happened is it's caused a lot of opportunities for conflict, a lot of opportunities for disagreement and misunderstandings, and every one of those is making their way to Moses. Jethro is a worshiper of God, the true God. But now he watches his son-in-law work himself to exhaustion. Jethro has to make a choice. Should he mind his own business? Or should he speak up, bringing to Moses' attention the, the untenable ability for this to continue on much longer without serious burnout? For Moses is burning out and the people of Israel are exhausting themselves. What would you do? Wouldn't it be easy for Jethro to look and to say, well, yesterday was one of the greatest days of my entire life. It's so good to see family again. It's been so long. Why don't I just keep my mouth shut? And I'll go along. But it's love that provides the foundation for the encouragement to give the criticism. 
It's love that provides the opportunity for transformation to come into not only Moses' life, but for the people of Israel to bear the weight of leadership and responsibility. This morning, as we observe these three components that make this such a beautiful, healthy point of criticism and receiving the criticism for health and, and growth in the life of Israel, we ask God, give us eyes also to see. Give us fresh eyes. Give us a foundation of love in every one of our relationships. So let's note as we begin this morning in verses 13 through 18 that Jethro brought fresh eyes that were able to diagnose the problem. Moses sits and the people stand around. This actually, this pattern continues on even in the new covenant, the new covenant made by Christ's blood for which every believer has entered into, but the blood of the Lamb, our faith in Christ alone. In the early church, it would be common for the preacher to sit and the congregation to stand. So if you ever want to go back to the good old days, just be clear, you don't want to go way back to the good old days, or I'll pull a stool up and you can stand up. But what's taking place is Jethro looks and sees this is not possible. He points out a a dangerous situation that's before them, and he uses a question. Don't you love the way Jesus uses questions to pull out the answers of the truth? If you've not read the Gospels before, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'd encourage you to choose one of those and begin reading through. Observe the way in which Jesus uses questions to get to the heart of the matter. What Jethro does is he uses a question. What is this that you are doing for the people? Now, he's not looking for a response. He's observed exactly what's taking place. But he's asking a question in the way that a parent might ask their teenager about the cleanliness of the room. What is this that you have done with your room? I mean, I love the way that you've placed a pile of clothes over here. And you're accentuating that with a pile of clothes over here and then draping it with clothes up there. It's incredible. Now, the parent that's asking the teenager, what have you done with your room, is trying to give them fresh eyes to see. I'd be willing to say every one of us, whether we're a college student in our dorm room now at this point, after being there for many months or you're Uh, an older adult who's lived in the same home for many years, you probably notice things about your house that you now no longer see at all. Jethro has fresh eyes. It's his first time seeing the pattern of leadership that has developed in Israel. He sees what it appears Moses cannot see. In the statement that's given, look at verse 15 and 16. Jethro makes a decision to engage the relationship. I mean, this is an in-law relationship. It couldn't be tighter than it is right now. But because Jethro loves Moses, he speaks the truth in love. Look at 15 and 16. Moses, with this beautiful, pure heart, gives the answer for what's taking place, the, the untenability of the situation, the weariness, the exhaustion, the reality of inevitable burnout. Look what Moses says. Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses answers that he's doing his job. Remember, the law has not yet been given. That will come here in two chapters. 
We'll walk through that together, the Ten Commandments. But by God's calling and commissioning, Moses has two primary functions. Number one, he functions as a priest for the people of Israel so that they bring their burdens to him and he brings them to the Lord. The second, he functions as the prophet, the mouthpiece of God. God says what to say and, and do, and Moses goes and shares that, also by way of Aaron, as we've seen in the previous chapters. So, prophet, information's coming from the Lord, going to the people as a final authority. Now we have Scripture, which is our final authority by which we test all things. But also this priestly responsibility, this in-between between God and the people. And so in this way, the people are asking, what's it mean to walk out life in relationship with God? We're trying to figure out, we're, we have a disagreement together. You believe it should look like this. I believe it should look like this. Moses, God's man, the prophet, will discern our disagreement. We want to do what pleases God, but we have a disagreement. We want to uh, abide by the way in the word of the Lord, Yahweh, but we don't know what to do, so help us. Moses says, yes, I'm exhausted, but I'm doing what God has called me to do. Often I see in the life of a believer a clarity of doing what God has called them to do, but perhaps doing it in a way that will not be sustainable for the long haul. We sprint for a season and, and, and we think, when that season ends, then I'll readjust. And inevitably, in time, exhaustion often comes in. And the instruction that Jethro will give to Moses, he doesn't tell him you're being disobedient. He doesn't tell him to stop doing these things. Jethro, even though he's the father-in-law of Moses, has no authority to say, stop doing what God tells you to do. I mean, that'd be foolish, wouldn't it? That'd be sin for Jethro to do that. But Jethro points out, knowing that God's will for Moses and for Israel, this people that he now loves also, just as he loves his son-in-law, is not burnout. God's will for Jethro and for, Israel, for Moses and for Israel is not weariness. He can say that with clarity. You know, when we think of our own lives as believers, we walk through and we talk about often four components of discipleship we try to regularly bring to our attention at church, word, worship, service, family. We encourage every one of us, whether you're a middle schooler or a senior adult, use that as a general guide to look at my life and see, am I imbalanced? So we ask ourselves the question, all of us should, regardless of our age or our career stage, do I have a group for which I'm devoted to the Word with? Is there a group of people that were grasping God's Word and aiming to abide by God's Word together? Could be a small group, could be a men's group, could be a ladies' group, could be a college group, could be a number of groups, but do I have a group for which I'm devoted to the Word? The second, am, am I prioritizing corporate worship, gospel-centered worship in my life or not? Third, is there somewhere that I'm actively serving in a ministry together with other believers, using the giftings that God has given me, but also meeting needs before us? Am I involved in a, an act of service? And then fourth, am I practicing community? Am I, am I involved with family? Am I practicing hospitality in the life of the body and with the neighbors around me? And our goal in that is that you could have this template, that we could all have this template, and we could look and say, and even our bulletin's arranged in this way, that you could look and say, okay, I think maybe I should pray about an opportunity to start doing this. 
And maybe you pray for an opportunity to jump in here. But also as a protective measure from burnout. Because sometimes you might be in a season right now in your life in which you look and you say, okay, I am word, worship, service, 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 family. Guess what? That's not going to be sustainable for very long. You pray about it to the Lord and you find one that you can focus on. Don't do, you can't do everything at all the time. Moses is incredibly competent and Jethro in love looks at him and says, this is not sustainable. Weariness will come in. Exhaustion will come into these components. The responsibility that Moses is doing isn't simply this taking legal matters and solving them. It's spiritual leadership of helping the people walk out the Word of God. That's God's call for us as a local church. That's the responsibility of every ministry leader, is to help equip the body to do the work of the ministry. And that's what Jethro looks at and says, Moses, you're doing it all on your own, and you are not going to be able to do this much longer. It's been God's will from the very beginning of the covenant community, even in the Old Testament for healthy weight of responsibility to be distributed. I rejoice in that reality that God has given us faithful elders, faithful teachers, faithful ministers, faithful staff, faithful small group leaders to distribute the weight of ministry. There's a number of components that we can pull into this. But Jethro, at the heart of the matter, at the very beginning, he brings fresh eyes to the situation and he solves the problem. Here he points out the problem. But in the advice, the fresh eyes that Jethro does, he doesn't just come in and drop the bomb that says, this is dysfunctional. I'll see you next Christmas. Right? He doesn't just come in. Have you ever received criticism like that? Somebody's come and said, hey, there's a problem here. Good luck with it. Jethro doesn't come in and give the problem. He's right. He knows there's a problem. And you know, he doesn't have the authority to, to, to discharge Moses from the commissioning that God has given him. But he knows enough to look and say, I know that there's a wiser way to do this. And so he tries to bring to Moses' own attention fresh eyes to the situation. Every one of us are wise on a, at least a monthly basis to slow down. If you're married, discuss with your spouse, look at your calendars. If you're single, bring a brother or sister in Christ that loves the Lord and you know loves you and bring fresh eyes to your calendar. If you don't, you'll try to run a race that you cannot run for very long. This is what he says in verse 18. The verb in verse 18 is translated here as wear out. One lexicon, I think, is most helpful, Briggs. He says, the verb is used with emphatic repetition. So emphatic, it says it with importance and meaning twice. He says it in this way, it's given, wear out, to stress the certainty of the final outcome. Jethro tells him, y'all are wearing yourselves out. There's no other way that this is going to finish. It's not an issue of working harder. You could start before sun comes up, and you're going to end up in weariness and burnout. This is not good for you. The New American translates this with the importance on the future here of the weight. Listen to how it translates the weight issue. You will surely wear out both yourselves and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Dr. Cole's Tyndale 
commentary on Exodus is very helpful for this. Listen to this practical insight he gives. Listen. He says, like many a Christian leader, Moses was wearing himself out unnecessarily by trying to do everything single-handedly. Now catch this. This is not always a mark of ambition, but it is sometimes the mark of over-conscientiousness and over-anxiousness. In the 20 years the Lord has allowed me to serve in vocational ministry, I would underline and bolt and sign my name to that. There's so much of ministry burnout, and some, for some of you that have been believers for a long time, I'd be willing to argue that many of you have served a season of a tour in ministry in which your heart was in the right place. You did the responsibilities that were before you the best you could with all your heart and all your strength. But you were so conscientiousness of, conscientious of other burdens that other people would have if you asked them to serve in the ministry, if you asked them to help in the group. And you became over-anxious for them and you bore the weight on your shoulders for longer than you should have. And what happened is exactly what Jethro said would happen for Moses and all of Israel. You burnt out. That is not God's will for any of us doing the work of God. A number of applications I want to give here. This is very direct. And there's not like some secret information I have that says this is going to happen. But I believe God's providence as we walk through books of the Bible. We've come to this text. So I want to give you a very specific point of application that I really want to ask you to do. If you're involved with a group at Grace devoted to the Word. I want you this week, please, reach out to the group leader and ask them, how can you help serve in the life of the group? How can you take a weight off their plate to bless the group? And you're going to get one of two reactions, I can guarantee it. One person is going to break down and thank you. The second person is going to say, we're good. Everything's great. Don't take that as an answer. If they give you that answer, here's what you're going to say. You pray about it for a week of how you think I can be mobilized to help. Then I'll get back to you next week. Don't let a person with a servant's heart bear the weight and be ground into the dirt because of over-anxiousness and over-conscientiousness to burden other people. Moses did it. If Moses did it, don't you think there's a chance we could fall into the same plate? The second, I said there'd be two components. The second would be if you're blessed by a ministry of this church body, would you approach that ministry leader and do the same component? Or you have been in the past, you pray about who to approach and go and ask them the same exact thing. How can I help take a weight off your plate to make this ministry sustainable? Because great blessing of ministry is not ministry that goes like this big boom and this big spark. But it's long-lasting. It's enduring. So please consider that before the Lord and take next steps in those directions. I believe, again, this is by God's good providence that we come to this text in this good season. Moses had fresh eyes. 
Well, God, would you give us fresh eyes to do the same? Second, Jethro and Moses had a, had a foundation of genuine love for one another. Verse 19 through 23, we see that it's this foundation of a genuine love that platformed the, wis- the winsome words and open ears. When's the last time you took criticism from someone? Think about it for a second. When's the last time you received criticism from someone? How did it go? Some of you are like, when's the last time I didn't receive criticism? But what I want to say is, however that situation went, those situations usually go a lot different if you know there's a relationship and a foundation of love, isn't there? If you know somebody's words are measured and they love you and they care for you, when they give you a word of criticism, you know it's not off the cuff. It's been prayed about and they're, they're probably anxious about how it's going to come, but they want to provide it for you because they believe it's the best way. doesn't mean you have to receive it, but you know criticism received from those you know want your good and love and longevity is taken in a different way than those that are come quick. Well, Jethro loves Moses and it's the foundation that leads him to give the rebuke. But look at how he gives the rebuke. What's he say? He gives the problem and then he gives the sol- a proposed solution. He says, obey my words. And what's the specific clause he gives with it? God be with you in verse 19. God be with you. Now, if I'd have preached an hour and a half sermon last week, this point would have come through real clear. Because what did, Jeth- what did Moses say to Jethro when he brought him in the house? The point of what Moses said and wanted to make sure he understood was not how great Moses was. It was how great Yahweh, the Lord God, is in all that God has done in Israel and through Moses and the life of the people. All, 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 we heard that word again and again and again, all that the Lord has done. Moses wanted to make clear to his father-in-law that the Lord is the hero of the story. God is at work in the people and in his life. Glory to God. And now the very next day, what does Jethro say so wise and winsomely? He doesn't look and say, you're exhausting yourself. Yahweh, the Lord God, is not here. No. He looks and says, God will be with you. And just because the situation was hard or exhausting or wearisome, didn't mean God was gone. It didn't mean God didn't care. God was with them, and what Jethro gives in the heart of his advice is that he wants Moses to make it the long haul. He wants Israel to be healthy and to be able to go home at night and have peace, not to stand all day. So he says, God, be with you, and God will be with you. In our lives, in our relationships, in our circumstances that are weighty and burdensome, it doesn't mean the Lord's not with us. But there's a wiser way. A wiser way. And for that, that included specifically the advice then of how things could be done healthier meant empowering others. Equipping, so enlisting, equipping, and empowering. The three E's. Enlisting, equipping, and empowering. And who specifically was to share the weight, the load? 
Well, look down in verse 21. Check out verse 21. You're going to want to see this for yourself. In verse 21, in the wisdom that's given, let's note together this fact that Jethro at no point edits what God gave to Moses as a responsibility. Even though he's telling him to enlist people, enlist these men that will serve over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, it's still Moses' responsibility given by God. Did you catch that? But he wants him to do it in a wiser way. Hey, listen, bullet point prayer, God, would you help me to do this in a wiser way? Help me, God, to be wise in this. That's what Jethro gives. Look what he says. Tell me about the men. It's not just you need somebody, so get a warm body in here to make these judgments. Tell me about the type of men that are enlisted and recruited. Here's what we have, four qualities. Moses is to look for able men from all the people. So they got to be competent. They got to have the ability mentally and physically to make the judgments. Number two, they have to be men who fear God. So they're not yes men to Moses. They don't fear Moses more than they fear God. They fear God, just like Moses fears God. Number three, they're to be trustworthy, men who are trustworthy. How do you define trustworthiness? It's according to God's Word and God's character. Number four, they're to hate a bribe. Hate a bribe. If you were giving a characteristic of a keys for elders, and you can only choose four in the leaders that you serve under, I'd argue that most of us probably wouldn't think of number four to make it right into that list. But all of these are character-oriented. You have the competency component, and they know there's going to be good chemistry with the people because they're all under the fear of the Lord. But they're character-oriented. And a key component of this character is that they're to be men who hate a bribe. Jesus says the same thing. He says you cannot serve both God and money. That not money is the root of all evil, but the love, the devotion to money is the root of all these evils. In Acts chapter 6, in Titus chapter 1, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications are given for leaders, the same idea that they're to be responsible. They're not to be lovers of money in the greedy sense. They're not to be those that will take a bribe. You think about how much of life is impacted by leaders that are trustworthy. In preparing this and in this component, I think I'd be remiss not to point out the reality that our own nation, so many courts, so many leaders, this component of a lack of trustworthiness that comes in when bribes and behind-the-door scenes take place. It uproots leadership. It brings doubt into the people and erodes. So we want to pray that same, that the, the leaders of our land, the courts, all of these things will be marked by people who fear God, are trustworthy, and who hate a bribe, that long to defend life the most vulnerable form, certainly beginning in the womb. These are the type of characters that Moses is to choose to spread out responsibility for Israel. When you think about your relationships present and past, whether it's a work relationship or a friendship, 
how, many of our, how much of our heartache comes from a lack of character, lack of continuity? He gives him this call with the promise of blessing. What's the reason that, that uh, Moses should do these things? Because number one, Moses will be able to endure them. You're going to make it the long haul, Moses. You're not impressing anyone. And Moses isn't trying to impress people. He's doing what God's called him to do, but he's not doing it in a wise way that's going to create a long, enduring finishing of the race. The second, the benefit for the people is that they'll actually go to their place in peace. That's what he says exactly. That's a good reason. It's because there's a foundation of love that allows Moses to have open ears and receptive heart to a word that could be hard to hear. The fresh eyes that Jethro brought to the picture leads us in the final verses, 24 through 27 and third, that the wise plan is implemented and Israel is empowered, Moses is preserved. This is chapter 18, next week is chapter 19, and the week after that is chapter… I know! Amazing! This is counting with Pastor Brent. I got us covered. But when we think about what we're reading here in chapter 18, in chapter 18, we have the teachability of Moses. Moses could have doubled down in his pride, couldn't he? His father in law is giving him this correction. How easy it would have been to look and say, Excuse me, who did God place in leadership here? You, Jethro, you've been here for a day, or me? He could have looked and said, who did God give the staff to? Me. Who's the one that knows all the issues of these people? Me. But he doesn't. Moses crucifies his desires and his pride. He's felt the weight of the burden of leadership. And he has a teachable heart. Men and women, the best things that you can do for your life and your relationships right now is ask the Lord to give you a teachable heart. To receive correction and insight have enough people that love the Lord Jesus Christ in your life to invite them to a close enough view that they can bring fresh eyes to your circumstances and your relationships. To ask the Holy Spirit of God to convict our hearts and give us insight like this. Nobody is more bought in and more invested to the leadership and the health of Israel than Moses. And yet Moses has a teachable spirit. In chapter 19, we'll have the ceremony will begin. They'll get to the mountain where God will give His law, the Ten Commandments, in chapter 20. And the people will be prepared, softening their hearts. Will you do all the Lord has commanded? We will. Chapter 20 will be the giving of the law. But it starts off on a good place because Moses has an opportunity to hear wise, good wisdom from God by way of Jethro, just as he's expecting Israel to receive the wise, good, and perfect word from God above at the mountain.
The wise plan is implemented. And so many components we see in this text. How does the weight feel on your shoulders today? If you don't know Christ, the weight of your sin, the weight of trying to be a good enough person is crushing. The reason we gather with hope and joy and peace is because we know the love of God that He has given us in sending His Son, eternally begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh and dwelt among us. He came and bore our burdens upon the tree. He is the one who's worthy to take our sin, to lead our life. If you don't know Him today, give your life to Christ. Walk in the goodness of following your Savior. And for most of us who do know Christ here, it's a reminder to say, God, would your Spirit search my heart? Give me fresh eyes on my schedule. I want to walk the long route. Help me to love others and pursue others, which leads us into our next steps If we can say with confidence that neither sloth nor burnout are God's will for your life. Not one of us here does God desire as believers to be slothful. Not one of us here does God desire as believers to be burnt out. So I would encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit of God to to give fresh eyes to your calendar, to your schedule. And then secondly in that is to prayerfully invite somebody to give fresh eyes to your routine. See if there's a way that you can be more wise in doing the things the Lord has presented before you to do. Your entirety of your schedule, what's it look like? Have an open hand before the Lord and ask God to help you do it for the long haul. Number two, a loving relationship between in-laws paved the way for this. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? This leadership change in the life of Israel impacts the new covenant church that's to come over a thousand years later. The weight of responsibility of leadership distributed. It's this relationship that that happened because Moses has to run away from Israel for 40 years. It forms this relationship of love with his father-in-law Jethro. If God is able to sovereignly work and providentially work for His glory and the good of His people in that way, there's no coincidence in any of our relationships in this room. From work to classes to roommates to all the things of life in between, there is no coincidence in those areas. And so we ask God, help us to have eyes to see, to give winsome words of the goodness of the hope that we have in you. And when others speak into our life with life-giving criticisms, give us hearts that long to grow for your glory. Help us to kill our pride and to sing your praise for your mission, God, is good. Amen? His mission, this disciple-making call we have together is good and it's worth the entirety of our lives. Can you say that with confidence? It's true. It's the best thing for our kids. It's the best thing for our parents. It's the best calling for our lives to know Jesus Christ and to make Him known.